Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Paul tells us our lofty position in Christ in chapters 1 to 3. He then tells us our practical walk in chapters 4 to 6. Chapters 1 to 3 of Ephesians tell us who we are in Christ. Chapters 4 to 6 is becoming who we are. And the bridge between the two, the thing that makes chapters 4 to 6 a reality, is in the verse we want to look at this morning, chapter 5 and verse 18. It says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now this is the key verse in Ephesians. If we're going to accomplish the humble walk, the unity walk, the different walk, the love walk, the light walk, the wise walk, you and I must be filled with the Spirit of God. It only makes sense. If we're going to have a holy walk, we have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this idea of being filled with the Spirit is not unique to the book of Ephesians. God has been choosing and using people all along who are filled with the Spirit of God. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, verse 15 tells us that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb. Verse 41 of that same chapter says Elizabeth, his mother, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And verse 67 tells us Zacharias, his father, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so a whole family was filled on that occasion. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4 tells us the believers on the day of Pentecost were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with other tongues. The verses that follow tell us the languages they spoke in. And verse 11 tells us what they said. They were speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And on that same occasion, Peter was one of those filled with the Holy Spirit. He preached and 3,000 people were saved. Acts chapter 4 and verse 8 tells us Peter was before the council, including Annas and Caiaphas, the same council that 53 days earlier he had been so intimidated by. He looked them in the eye and he spoke about Jesus whom you crucified. And that verse tells us he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 4 and verse 31 of Acts says they had a prayer meeting. And the house where they were gathered was shaken. Now, that's a good prayer meeting. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and it says, as a result, they spoke the word of God with boldness. And the next verse says that they were all of one heart and one mind, and they shared all things in common so that no one had a need. Acts chapter 6, a problem arose in the church. They had certain widows who were outside of Palestine who were being neglected in the daily contributions and the daily giving of food. And so the apostles decided to fix the problem. They fixed it in verse 3 of chapter 6 by saying, you pick seven men who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 6 and 7 describe one of those individuals by the name of Stephen. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 10 of chapter 6 says the Jews were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. In fact, the last verse of chapter 6 says his appearance was even affected. It said he had the face like the face of an angel. And then chapter 7 of Acts describes his sermon, which was a powerful sermon. In fact, he concludes it by saying this in verse 51. He said, you are stiff-necked men, uncircumcised in heart, uncircumcised ears. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're doing just what your fathers did. Your fathers persecuted the prophets and put to to death those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now the righteous one has come and you've put him to death. Now, when you end the sermon that way, you get a response. And Stephen did. He was stoned to death. But while he was being stoned to death, 
the end of chapter 7 says, he looked up into heaven and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then if you notice verse 60 of chapter 7, while he's being stoned to death, he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He forgave them. You say, well, how could he do that? Chapter 7, verse 55 says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When we come over to chapter 9 of Acts, it describes the conversion of Saul, the one at whose feet they laid their coats when they stoned Stephen to death. And it says in verse 17 that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately began proclaiming Jesus to be the Son of God. Chapter 11, verse 24 says Barnabas was filled with the Holy Spirit and encouraged the believers at Antioch. Acts chapter 13, verse 9 again says Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit and rebuked a false teacher. And as a result of that, the proconsul was saved, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. And then chapter 13 and verse 52 says, And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And so we see that men and women who were used by God were men and women who were continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I repeat as we come to chapter 5 and verse 18 that this is the key ingredient to the Christian's walk, that we be filled with the Spirit of God. Now I want to say four things right here about this statement in Ephesians 5.18. Four things that are not necessarily evident in your English version. Number one, This is, in the Greek, the imperative mood, which means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an alternative. It's not an option. Paul is commanding us to be filled with the Spirit of God. Secondly, it's in the plural form, which means it's encompassing all believers. It's not just for the elite. It's not just for the super spiritual. It's not reserved for pastors and missionaries. If you're from the South, you can go ahead and put you all in there. Because Paul is saying, you all be filled with the Spirit of God. Third thing, it's in the passive voice. Which means the action that takes place here is not something that I do. It's something that I allow to be done upon me. I am saying essentially... Holy Spirit, you fill me. You do the work. It is letting the Holy Spirit do that work. It is passive. And then the fourth thing I'd like to note about it is that it's in the continuous present tense. So it really should read in your Bible, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time event in a Christian's life. It is a continual thing. See, I can be filled with the Spirit today and not be filled with the Spirit tomorrow. I can be filled with the Spirit right now and not be filled with the Spirit five minutes from now. It's a continual thing that needs to be going on in the life of a believer, and that's why we read in Acts 13, 52, the disciples were continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it's a command, it's plural, it's passive, and it's continuous. You say, well, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, to help us understand that, let me point out some things that it doesn't mean. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not the same as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of Christians get confused about this because in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascended, he said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, it says the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so a lot of people just unite those two ideas. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, 
the word baptism is not used. But we know that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit because Jesus said, wait for it to happen. And in Acts chapter 11 and verse 15, Peter looks back and describes it as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But see, they are not the same event because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time occurrence. It happens one time in the life of a believer. It is the point when I accept Christ, it is the point where the Spirit of God takes me and He places me in the body of Christ. Listen to this verse. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Paul says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Everyone who is a believer is baptized by the Holy Spirit. That is, you are taken and you are placed in the body of Christ. There's no such thing as a Christian who hasn't had the baptism of the Holy Spirit because there's no such thing as a Christian who is outside the body of Christ. Now, there's a distinction in these two, and it's very clear. Baptism of the Spirit is a one-time event. Filling of the Spirit is a repeated event. The baptism of the Holy Spirit never happened before the day of Pentecost. The filling of the Spirit did. In fact, you'll find episodes in the Old Testament where saints were filled with the Holy Spirit. Micah 3.8 is a classic example. Micah said, I have been filled with the Spirit of the Lord. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is true of all believers. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not necessarily true of all believers. And let me say a fourth thing in comparison. The baptism of the Holy Spirit has to do with my position. I am placed in the body of Christ. The filling of the Holy Spirit has to do with my power. It is allowing the Spirit of God to empower me and use me. And so, the filling of the Spirit is not the same as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me say a second thing that it's not the same as, and that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit also happens at salvation, and that is the point where the Spirit of God takes up residence in my life. Paul said in Romans 8, 9, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So if you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of God inside of you. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, which was probably the most corrupt church in the New Testament, and he said to them, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's right in a context of, of telling them to stop being involved in immorality. He doesn't say to them, what you need is the Spirit of God. He says, you need to know what you've already got. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you, and you are the temple in which He dwells, so act like it. And so the filling of the Holy Spirit is different from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then a third thing I would point out is that the filling of the Holy Spirit is different from the sealing of the Holy Spirit. We read about that activity in Ephesians 1.13. It says, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The sealing of the Holy Spirit has to do with our security. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30 says you were sealed for the day of redemption. He has sealed you. He has secured you for that day of ultimate redemption. But what's interesting is you can look through your Bible and nowhere will you find in Scripture where any believer is commanded to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You're never commanded to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And you are never commanded to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. But you are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, what does it mean then? You've told me what it doesn't mean. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? 
Well, this word, in its simplest form, is, is the very idea that you would take a pitcher and fill a glass with water. It's that word for filling. And a lot of us think of that analogy when we talk about filling with the Spirit. We think of the Spirit as being in a big pitcher up there, and we're a glass, and He pours into us. But that's not a good analogy, because when we talk about the Spirit of God, we need to understand that the Spirit of God is not like the force. I hear a lot of Christians talk about the Spirit of God, and they call Him it. He's not it. He is a person. The Spirit of God is just as much a person as Jesus Christ is a person. So you don't get him in bits and pieces. And that's why sometimes I hear Christians pray, Lord, give me more of your Spirit. But see, you've either got him or you don't. You don't get part of him and get some more later. So the issue really in being filled with the Spirit is not that you get more of the Spirit. It's that the Spirit gets more of you. See, he's already indwelling you. He wants to fill you. He wants to take complete control of you. And that's the idea behind this word. It's indicated by the way it's used oftentimes. It's a Greek word, plerao. It's used sometimes in classical Greek of wind filling a sail. And that's a pretty apt description. Because when wind fills a sail on a boat, the sail doesn't do anything but be up there and be available. And the wind does the work. And that's the way it is with the Spirit of God. We're like the sail and we make ourselves available. And the Spirit of God fills us and moves us. Ozzie Smith is a gold glove winner. And I'm sure Ozzie Smith has a very good ball glove. But the secret to Ozzie Smith's success is not his ball glove. You know, you could say to Ozzie's glove, go out to short and field a few grounders. And that glove wouldn't go anywhere. See, the secret to the success of Ozzie Smith's glove is that Ozzie Smith's hand is in it. So you could put my hand in Ozzie's glove and you would have some problems. We're like the glove. Chapters 1 to 3 describes who we are in Christ. He has formed us. He has gifted each of us in a special way. We're a unique glove. We are suited for what he wants us to do. But we cannot accomplish it in our own strength. We have to have the Spirit of God fill us just like his hand fills that glove to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. And that's the idea of being filled with the Spirit. This word plerao is also used of the idea of permeating something. It's used of salt when you would put it all over meat or maybe more appropriately salt when you would put it in soup and it would permeate the entire soup and the flavor would go with it throughout the soup. That's the idea behind this word. And the idea as we apply it to our lives is that we might allow the Spirit of God to permeate our lives so that the flavor of Christ comes out. When I was a kid, we used to uh, have these little things called fizzies. Remember these? They were like uh, uh, Kool-Aid Alka-Seltzer. Uh, you'd take them and you'd put them in the water and they would fizz up and, and permeate the water and make it into Kool-Aid. And it was an exciting drink. But see, if you took the fizzy and you didn't take it out of the wrapper and you threw it in the water, it wouldn't do anything. And pardon this analogy, but you're like the water and the Holy Spirit's like the fizzy. The Holy Spirit is in you. Oftentimes, we leave him in the wrapper. And what's the wrapper? Well, the wrapper is ourself and our sin. And oftentimes, we keep him packaged in there. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to break the package to let Him permeate our lives so that He is now filling us 
And the flavor that comes out, of course, is the flavor of Jesus Christ. This word plerao is used one other way. It's used in Scripture of someone who is totally dominated by an emotion. John 16, 6 talks about those who are filled with sorrow. Luke 5, 28, 26, filled with fear. Luke 6, 11, filled with rage. Acts 6, 5, filled with faith. Acts 13, 52, filled with joy. It described a person who was so filled with an emotion that that was the only thing they felt. There was no room for any other emotion. That particular emotion dominated their life. Now, usually, we try to keep a balance in our emotions. We, we have sadness over here and happiness over here, and we try to keep them balanced. And if we start getting too sad, we tell people to change the subject so we can keep it balanced. But sometimes, something happens that allows us not to keep that balance. When a loved one dies, we're filled with sorrow. When you're home alone and you hear somebody scratching on the window, you're filled with fear for that moment. We, uh, the men's basketball team was involved in a tournament a few weeks back. And uh, at the end of the game, we were tied, and the other team scored a three-point basket with one second left. We were filled with disappointment, sorrow. To make an extremely long story short, uh, in that one second, we scored a three-point basket to tie the game and won in overtime. We were now filled with joy. So you go from one emotion to the other, but that emotion for the moment is right there. It's just filling your being. And that's this word. Now, in our Christian life, a lot of times, we try to stay balanced. We've got the Holy Spirit over here. We've got me over here. And we say, a little bit for you, a little bit for me. A little bit for you, a little bit for me. Every once in a while, what happens? Holy Spirit fills us. He dominates us. He, he takes control in such a way that there's no room for me anymore. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. And that's evident by this verse because Paul contrasts it in this verse with being drunk with wine. Now, why does he do that? Well, I think there's several reasons. Number one, I think, that when a person is drunk, they give up control. When a person is drunk with wine, they are under the control of that alcohol. That's why we use the phrase, under the influence. A person purposely makes a decision to place themselves under the control of that intoxicant. When I was uh, 19 and 20, I was uh, very involved in drugs. And there are times when I can remember uh, holding a pill in my hand that I was going to take, and I knew that for the next seven hours I would be under the control of that pill. And I made a conscious decision. I'm going to place myself under the control of this illegal drug that who knows what's going to happen for the next seven hours. That's a decision that I made, a bad decision. But Paul says in the same way you make that decision to put yourself under the control of that which will control you, you are to be filled with the Spirit of God. I think there's a second reason he mentions the filling of the Spirit in contrast to being drunk with wine, and that is because throughout this chapter he's been drawing contrasts, parallels with the world's counterfeit. He says we're to, be, we're to walk in love in verse 2, 
We're in contrast to that to put off immorality, which is the world's counterfeit. We are to walk in light. We're to not walk in darkness, which is the world's counterfeit. We are to walk in wisdom rather than foolishness. And now he says we are to be filled with the Spirit rather than being drunk with wine. And the world understands that contrast because one of the words the world uses to describe liquor is spirits. In fact, we have a place here in town called the Spirit Shop. And what is it? It's intoxicants that take control. Now, let me caution you about something. He's not contrasting these two because they have the same results. Any more than love and lust have the same results, any more than light and darkness have the same results, any more than wisdom and foolishness have the same results. He's not talking about being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit because they result in the same thing. Now, I say that because there are Christians today who are being confused about this. In fact, there's a... There's a a movement going on today called the Toronto Revival or the Laughing Revival. And the theme there is that you as a Christian need to be drunk on the Spirit. In fact, I have personally heard on television a preacher say, the bar is open. Get drunk on the Spirit. Now, I have real reservations about that. Because in Galatians chapter 5, my Bible tells me that one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So if somebody tells me they're under the control of the Spirit of God and they're laying on the floor, totally out of control, in uncontrollable laughter, then I have some reservations about that. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33, Paul said to the church at Corinth, which was in a similar situation, he said, God is not a God of confusion. And then in verse 40, he said, let all things be done properly and in an orderly manner. In fact, if you look at our verse, verse 18, he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Now, I don't even know what dissipation means. But the reason it's in there as a word that you don't understand is because it's a hard word to translate. It's the Greek word asotos. Sotos means saved, and the alpha or a in front of it makes it negative. A is like un or non in our language. So this word literally means that which is not saved or that which is wasted. This same word is used in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. He wasted his life. He wasted his time. He wasted his money. You see, what he's talking about here is that when a person gets drunk with wine... They are wasting that. There is no production that comes out of that. Nothing profitable comes out of that time. In contrast to that, we are to be filled with the Spirit because He can produce that which is eternally valuable through our lives. And then I think there's one other reason that he mentions uh, being drunk with wine in contrast with being filled with the Spirit, and that is because there is a sort of parallel. Because under the control of alcohol... Speech is affected. People's speech is slurred. Your walk is affected. That's why the police make people walk down a line, because their walk is affected. And a person's boldness is affected. I've seen people drunk, who, little guys, who pick fights with big guys because they suddenly think they're somebody they're not. So our speech is affected, our uh, walk is affected, and our boldness is affected. 
And I think what Paul is saying here is, rather than putting yourself under the control of alcohol, put yourself under the control of the Spirit of God. Allow Him to affect your speech and your walk and your boldness. Yield yourself to Him. Let Him permeate your life in such a way that Christ-likeness comes out. You know, the classic example of this is Peter. If one thing stands out about Peter in the Gospels is that he always wanted to be where Jesus was. In John chapter 21, they're out in the boat fishing. John leans over to him and says, that's the Lord on the shore. What does Peter do? He dives into the water to swim to the shore because he wanted to be where Jesus was. I always get the impression in the Gospels that whenever Jesus stopped, Peter ran into the back of him because he just always wanted to be there. When Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 6, will you go away also? Peter said, where are we going to go? And that's not even a question. We're with you. Why did Peter want to be around Jesus all the time? Well, I think one of the reasons is that his walk was affected. Remember when, uh, I think it's recorded in Matthew chapter 14, where the disciples are going across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus comes walking to them in the night on the water. They look up and see him on the water, and they say, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. Well, when Peter finds out it's Jesus, what does he do? Command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on. So Peter gets out and begins to walk on the water. Now, I would say that's a different walk. And, and the scripture's almost amusing there. It says, when he saw the wind, he became afraid and he sunk as if he could walk on a calm day, but it was windy. And so Jesus picks him up and brings him back to the boat, and he gets in the boat, and I imagine he said, hi, guys, you know, just took a walk on the water. See, when he was close to Jesus, his walk was affected. Not only that, but his speech was affected. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, whom do you say that I am? Or who do people say that I am? And the disciples said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke, spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. When Peter was next to Jesus, he spoke things from God. Now, 30 seconds later, who's he speaking for? Satan. I mean, he was a little too available. But when he was with Jesus, his walk was affected, his talk was affected, and he also had boldness that he didn't have anywhere else. In John chapter 18, they were in the garden. It tells us that a Roman cohort came into the garden, which would be 600 soldiers. Jesus says, well, who do you seek? And they said, well, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am. And they all fell down. Well, Peter got pumped at that point. So he pulled his sword out and he cut Malchus's ear off. Now, I don't get the impression he was just like, you know, got your ear. I think he was trying to slice him and dice him and make Julian fries out of him. But he missed. But the impression, there's 600 soldiers there. My impression is he was going to start with Malchus and keep going. Jesus had to tell him to stop. But he was bold. When he, he was with Jesus, his speech was affected, his walk was affected, his boldness was affected. A little while later, he's standing by the fire outside the council. He won't even admit to a little girl that he knows Jesus. Why not? 
Well, I think the answer is in Matthew 26, 58. It says this little phrase about Peter. It says, Peter was following afar off. That's a pregnant phrase. He was far away from Jesus. Everything changed. When he was next to Jesus, he walked on water, he talked for God, he had great boldness. When he was apart from Jesus, he was fearful and weak. Come to the book of Acts, Jesus has ascended into heaven. You say, oh boy, Peter's really in trouble now. What do we find in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 2 shows us his speech was affected. He preached on the day of Pentecost, and the Bible says that men's hearts were pierced by his words. And 3,000 people were saved. His walk was affected. In chapter 5, verse 14, it said Peter would walk down the street and his shadow would fall on people and they were healed. And not only that, but his boldness was affected. If you read Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, when Peter appeared before the council, it says that the council saw the courage of Peter and John. And they were amazed and said, these men must have been with Jesus. So here's Peter. He, his speech was affected. His walk was affected. His courage was affected when he was with Jesus. Now Jesus is in heaven and he's got the same walk. He's got the same talk. He's got the same courage. What's the secret? Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 and Acts chapter 4 and verse 8 tell us he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can be as well. In fact, Paul commands you to be. You say, well, how do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I hesitate to answer that because I don't want to give you a formula. Because the real essence of being filled with the Spirit is that you yield total control to the Spirit of God. You completely say, Lord, I am all yours. You take over. That's the essence of it. But let me suggest four things just that you could jot down. Number one is 1 John 1, 9. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can grieve the Holy Spirit as we read earlier in the book of Ephesians. And the way we grieve the Holy Spirit is by sin. So obviously the way to allow the Spirit to fill us is to confess our sins to be cleansed of those, to allow that fellowship to be open so we deal honestly with our sin. That's the first thing. Second thing would be a verse like Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Now you take that little phrase, yet not I, and you get a hold of it. And what does that say? That says, I empty myself of myself. Or as Paul says in Romans 6.11, you consider yourself to be dead to sin. So number one, you confess the known sin in your life. Number two, you empty yourself of yourself. The Holy Spirit's going to fill me. I've got to get me out of the way. And then the third thing would be a verse like Romans 6.13 that says, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Present the members of your body as instruments of righteousness to God. Same verse or same idea is in Romans 12:1. I urge you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Confess the known sin in my life. Empty myself of myself. And then present 
all that I am, my body, each member of my body to the Lord as an instrument of righteousness. And then the fourth thing I would say is in Colossians 3.16. And I want you to turn over there for just a moment and look at that verse. Colossians 3.16. And when you get there, I want you to come back to Ephesians 5. Colossians 3.16. But I want you to look at Ephesians 5 because I want you to see the results of being filled with the Spirit. He says in verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit. And then he gives the results. Verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 21, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Verse 22, Wives, be subject to your husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Verse 5, slaves, be obedient. Verse 9, masters, do the same things to them. Now, come over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Verse 18, wives, be subject to your husbands. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives. Verse 20, children, be obedient to your parents. Verse 21, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Verse 22, slaves, in all things obey. Chapter 4, verse 1, masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness. What you will see there is that the results are the same. But in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 16, he says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Which tells me that those two are very closely connected. So in order to be filled with the Spirit, I must allow the word of God to richly dwell within me. And I think the key phrase there is to richly dwell within you not a matter of just speed reading a chapter. He's talking about you being marinated in the Word of God, that it richly dwells inside of you. And so we need to confess known sin. We need to empty ourselves of ourselves. We need to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord, and we need to be marinated in the Word of God. We need to be in the Word of God. And when we are with an attitude that says, Lord, you take control, then He can fill us and use us as he desires.